Happy Tuesday, everyone. I hope everybody had a fantastic 4th of July and Independence Day. We had a great time over here in the uh, wonderful state of Wyoming. We had a nice relaxing day. We uh, shot some guns and then we drank some whiskey and we grilled some beautiful Snake River Farms ribeye steaks whipped up some salad, drank a little bit of more whiskey, and then I can't confirm or deny maybe I attended an illegal fireworks display, maybe or maybe not, perpetuated by me, in which case we had a great time. And then we capped it off with watching Red Dawn, which is by far one of my all-time favorite movies, not to be confused with the new Red Dawn, which sucked so much donkey balls, I can't even tell you. Like, they... Fucked that movie up six ways to Sunday. I can't even. I can't even. That's where I'm at with the new Red Dawn. Um, it could have been done so much better. I really feel like I need to be like a movie writer, director, producer, because I just feel like I could produce so much better quality of shit than some of the things that I see, especially some of the remakes that get, they just ruin it for you. That being one of them. But we watched old school Red Dawn, and... Loved every second of it because it's basically about Americans kicking ass, killing commies for mommy. And you know what? They managed to conduct guerrilla warfare operations against a numerically superior and better equipped force. And yes, it's just a movie, people. But what I'm getting at here is our, our good old friend, the president, the current president of the United States, Mr. Sleepy Joe Biden, who really has no business being in office if you ask me but that's a story for another time we'll, we'll save my political tirading for another time and we will get after this first installment of weapons free wednesday which is formatted like the show that i used to be the co-host of called cleared hot with my man andy stump so we're going to do a similar very similar thing that way we've got some content midweek for you guys. Okay, I know you, you can enjoy Full Auto Friday. So you can enjoy Weapons Free Wednesday on Wednesday. And then, you know, maybe swing over to Mike Force and check out old Mike Glover's podcast or Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or, you know, our other buddy over there at Danger Close, old Mr. Jack Carr. You can check out his stuff on Thursday. And then you can swing over to check out Full Auto Friday on Friday. And that'll round your week out for you really well. So we're going to go ahead and we've got five questions here submitted by you guys via Instagram. I will say that we had a productive day today getting back to getting back to work here and getting really the back end starting to get tuned up. There was so much involved in the podcasting stuff on the back end that I didn't realize was a thing. And we finally got our, uh, our iTunes, Apple podcast approval today put the link in the rss feed as it were for those of you that are savvy on the back end of these things and uh got all that dialed in today we also got dialed in on spotify we're on deezer we're on pocket cast we're on a bunch of new little platforms that i've some of which i've never even heard of before so but uh the big ones the main ones uh spotify and apple we are now on so you can check us out there or you can go directly to the website in the event that we continue to deal with our the, the wonderful ca cancel culture that exists in the tech industry because they don't like what I have to say. And so they will, if, they, if that happens, if we get canceled, then we'll have our website that we'll have podcasts on that we'll have full control of, uh, loanelement.com. You can swing over there and check it out. Eventually, we will have T-shirts over there and stickers and all the new cool swag that we're going to do for the to support the show and then we're also going to have a little section over there uh, called chronology in which case i'm going to uh, get busy writing some essays and some rants for you guys to kind of check out uh for uh for those of you that are old school like me analog and like to read we're going to do a little bit of that on the website so we've been busy in the background doing all that for you guys get this thing up and running and out of the gate so here we are. We're going to dive into the first installment of 
Weapons Free Wednesday. Enjoy. Here we are. Weapons Free Wednesday. Boom. So we have, let's see here, pull up my notes. I selected five questions. Thank you to everybody who participated via Instagram. Also, if you want to contact us or you want to uh, you know, submit questions for future Weapons Free Wednesdays, please uh, shoot us an email. Uh, at info at loanelement.com where all of that goes to my wonderful and talented uh, producer, Alex, who will review all that stuff and then kick it over to me and I'll have some eyes on it too. And then we'll, we will uh, pick through your guys' questions and comments and we will get it rock and rolling. Um, so here we go. Question number one. Do you think the government would serve the people more if it were comprised of more or all veterans. When I say veterans, I don't mean political type generals. I mean veterans that have been in firefights. Well, that is a uh, that's a great question. And I knew I promised we were going to touch politics another time, but here we go. We'll just we'll we'll go ahead and get dive into it. Yes, I think that the U.S. government could benefit. And be a little bit, and not just the U.S. government, I think state government, local city government, I think could benefit a lot more from having uh, leaders from, key leaders from combat arms and special operations in the mix uh, to help uh, kind of, you know, provide leadership. Because I think realistically that is what we're in a great shortage of is leaders who can make, leaders who can lead people, first of all. And also make timely, super stressful decisions. So I just see a grotesque lack of that where people, you know, they stand around and they don't know what to do. And they, they don't, you know, they, if you don't have any leadership experience and you haven't had to deal with anything really hard, and not that the military is the only place, you know, that you have to deal with hard, timely situations like this. So you know, we could put some, you know, law enforcement people in there. I mean, cops, good Lord. I fully support law enforcement and I've said it a million times uh, on other podcasts, but I think that they have the, one of the toughest jobs out there and are grotesquely underpaid and underappreciated. And they definitely have to deal with super stressful situations in a timely manner. And also the fire department or, you know, paramedics on ambulances. So uh, I I feel like anybody that's a first responder uh, from that background or from the military, yes, could could that experience benefit our society a little bit more? I I yes, I believe so. Um, I I think that having good leadership in place would mitigate a lot of the nonsense that we're that we're seeing these days, especially at the higher levels. Um, it it boggles my mind that it, we. I live in a day and age where if you're applying for a lower, you know, position of any type, you get vetted really hard. Like, I mean, there are probably Fortune 100 companies that have HR, uh, you know, procedures for hiring and vetting the executive staff. Like if you were applying for a job at, uh, you know, let's say Apple to be a CEO CFO, COO, fill in the blank, executive, they probably have more of a, um, they probably have more of a, uh, a stringent selection process than, you know, some of the shit that the current president went through or any president for that matter. Like, it just seems like you you've got a lot of money and you can throw it at an election um, and get the whatever political party back in you. You can get a good chance of getting elected, whether you have any good leadership experience or not. And, you know, a lot of, you know, our past presidents, conservative and on the liberal side, have had skeletons in their closet and have had not the greatest experience in actual leadership. And I can't remember the last time we had a president that had any military experience. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, George W. had uh, some 
national guard experience, I think, but I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think that's what really we're talking about in this regard with this question. We're talking about actual combat experience, co proven combat leaders. People have had bullets go by their head, which yes, I, I think that we need uh, a lot more of that uh, type of leadership in key positions in our country. And I think it would mitigate a lot of, a lot of the uh, nonsense that we're seeing happen you know, with running the government uh, today, which you know, we'll dive into the, the last question of the day is, uh, is a good one, which will kind of, which I'll circle back around and then we'll tie it, we'll tie these two together. So I hope that, that answers your question. Yes. Do I think that we could benefit more from that? Yes. Also, you know, we are, we're a mixed melting pot of people. And it's one of the things that I love about this country. And I think it's what makes America, America. Like we, we come from all nationalities, all walks of life. All of us, are, unless you're an American Indian, essentially are all immigrants here. So those, all, all those combined experiences, combined um, cultures, you know, they make America what it is and uh, makes us pretty versatile. And so do I think that the, you know, government leadership needs to be dominated by, uh, you know, people that came from the military? No, uh, you know, people from the military probably wouldn't be good at, you know, being in charge of schools or infrastructure or healthcare or, any of the other facets, the State Department, like we need, to, we need to train diplomats that have experience in diplomatic, you know, relations to go out and do diplomatic things. You know, is the military part of the di diplomacy process? Yes, but it's the last line of diplomacy. It's the, uh, you know, it's what you, it's the, you know, the ham, that old hammer in the bottom of the toolbox that you use to bang on things when you can't finesse it with, you know, any, uh, any of your other tools. So I think that having, you know, people of, of, other experience levels and other walks of life and other, you know, particular um, political or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Other skill sets in terms of where they come from, I think is super beneficial. And we need, we need all that. We need a good mixture. However, yes, I do feel like it's about time for somebody with some leadership experience. And once again, I'm looking at you, Dan Crenshaw, or I'm looking at you, Tulsi Gabbard to step up hopefully in 2024 and put in a bid for the presidency of the United States so that we can, you know, get the, get the ship back on course and help unite the country. Uh, the other aspect of what I think is great about the military is uh, not just being able to make decisions in a, in a timely manner or make decisions that are difficult uh, when the chips are down. It's being able to you know, work with diverse groups of people, which our U.S. military does that every day. Like everybody that I served with came from all kinds of different walks of life. I had Hispanic people from inner city, you know, L.A. I had, uh, you know, a couple Jamaican guys in my unit. I had a couple, um, a couple guys from Haiti in my unit. I had um, a guy that came from Croatia in my unit. Like there, we had so many different uh, ethnic groups, um, people from Asia, like all over Asian backgrounds. Like we had, we had it all. It was a mixed melting pot and we all learned how to, you know, set our differences aside and work together as a team to accomplish the, um, you know, to accomplish the mission for the, uh, overall good. And then I think that being able to have, you know, in addition to making hard decisions, bringing that skill set to the table is super, super important. So yeah. I hope that answers the question. I kind of rambled like a fucking idiot there for a second, but I think, uh, yeah, having more military experience in the higher echelons of our government is not a bad thing at all. Okay, question number two. After nearly three decades in state and federal law enforcement, I still have imposter syndrome. Also, I ran a fugitive team for nearly six years and have been in, in a command role for the past three I miss doing hits and running with a team. What would you suggest for dealing with these two issues? Great question. Okay, so what he's basically describing, I'm going to assume it's a he because I wasn't paying attention to what profiles these are. I'm pulling these off of. Could be Maybe it's a chick. Maybe it's a super badass chick that's out there fucking lacing up America's most wanted. Um, so if that's the case, I apologize. The... Question is about transition, essentially. You're transitioning from the action guy role to the 
leadership and command role. And that is, that's tough. That's a tough one to, that's a tough one to bite off. Like I, I know for a fact, if I could go back right now and serve in any capacity in my old job, I would do it in a heartbeat. However, uh, the, you know, the time, time and the enemy, what is what I'd like to tell everybody has a vote. Okay. So time has a vote. You, everybody and everything hits an event horizon at some point, and you are kind of forced to transition either because your body starts giving out, your mind starts giving out, or you're, uh, um, it's time to retire. You, you hit your, you hit your 20 or you hit your 25 or your 30 or whatever it is. And it's time to give it up and to go find something else to do. And that is extremely difficult because that you've got so much of what you are and what you do wrapped up in that in your career. And you uh, feel like you're losing your identity. You feel like you don't know who the hell you are anymore and what your purpose is and what that's one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to face is like, what in the hell am I here for now? Like what, what do I do now? I was really, really good at what I did. And the, uh, you know, as time went on, my stress level just got too unmanageable and the anxiety came and the PTSD got out of control and I could not, I was not fit. I was not fit to be on a team, um, towards the end when I decided to be done. And I knew that I knew that I was, it was time for something else. And that was extremely difficult. The, you know, in, in, in terms of having imposter syndrome, I can completely get on board with this. And for those of you who don't know, imposter syndrome is, uh, I don't know if it's a real thing because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV sometimes. The, uh, it's basically when you think you're a phony, but you're, you are actually pretty, you're legit. You're, you're in a job, you're doing the job, you've been vetted for the job, you're probably pretty good at the job, but for, for whatever reason, you've got this self, you've got this self-hatred or this self-judgment that you cast down on yourself where you feel like what you're doing, how you got there isn't good enough, you didn't do good enough, um, and you're not good enough. And that, you, you carry that around in your back pocket, and that is kind of a tough thing to deal with. I dealt with that for... I've dealt with that for I dealt with that for years, and I touched on it a little bit in a in a prior uh, podcast. But I talked about how I am not a badged or tabbed member of special operations in the U.S. Armed Forces. I was a straight leg infantry guy and had some very unique experiences as an infantry guy, and got to touch the magic of special operations in Iraq um, because of the job that I was doing at the regimental level leading up, you know, FID for first Marine regiment, but it, you know, that, which is a facet, it's a mission. It's a pillar mission of special operations, but I was never a special operator and I have taken in fact five selections and I've never, you know, it, during my time contract uh, on active duty and contracting, I never failed a selection. I always passed. However, uh, getting out and getting into contracting, I was then thrust into this world where my peers on my left and right were tabbed and badged members of special operations and they had great experience. And I just felt so fucking inadequate sometimes. Like, And then what I started to realize out there on the team over time is that I could very much keep up with these guys. And in fact, not only could I keep up with them, I outperformed them on a lot of levels. And then once I realized... Uh, that that was, you know, possible that these, these guys were not demigods and that they were very much human and put their pants on one leg at a time, just like I did, uh, and blood, red blood, just like I do. I started to realize that really like the, the tab and the badge were formality and I'm not taking away anything from any of those guys, any of my friends, any of my peers, anybody that I worked with that did that for a career. Cause I have several of my most closest people in my life are from that community. And I would never take away from anything that they ever accomplished um, ever. But I felt, you know, I finally got to a point where I felt like, you know, I looked around on my left and right and I'm like, I do belong here. I do belong in this community of men. I do, I can pull my weight. I can perform at the highest level. And 
Uh, so much so that I got myself to the point where I was an assistant team leader. And then I got myself to a point where I was, before I left and wrapped up my last deployment, where I was a team leader, in fact, in charge of eight special operators conducting special operations missions under contract for the U.S. Department of Defense in Afghanistan. And so uh, I, I did get there and I did lead those guys. And I got to the point where um, at the end of it, when I knew I needed to be done and move on, um, I had, you know, along with PTSD and survivor guilt and all the things and just dealing with all of the trauma that I had just shoved down and shoved down and shoved down there on top of the pile was me feeling I'm not good enough. And it was exacerbated by negative individuals uh, that I'd run into during my time consulting and working in the industry that were, um, you know, tabbed or badge special operations guys that would ask me my background and then they would sneer at me and, and, uh, you know, talk, talk trash. And that did not help my self-esteem that only made things worse. And it took me a lot of time and a lot of reflection and a lot of meditation and going through my healing process with counseling and with, you know, psychedelics to finally really be comfortable in my own skin and kind of be like, you know what? I, I did do that. And I did belong there and I did perform and I performed at a high level and I did my job and we executed our mission successfully. And I brought all my guys home with all their fingers and toes. And really when I finally got to the end of that trail and had that realization and that epiphany is when I finally let go of that. So, you know, in terms of, you know, imposter syndrome, you got to really ask yourself why, what's driving your imposter syndrome. If you are three decades into state and federal law enforcement and you have all of that amazing experience, and I'm sure you've got all kinds of like professional education and continuing education and schools and training. I mean, I'm just going to say here, if you, if you were, uh, if you're in charge right now of running a fugitive team and that's what you used to do for a living, then I'm going to say you're probably maybe a U.S. Marshal SOG guy. I'm just going to just guess. I'm going to shoot from the hip and just guess. Or maybe you're FBI HRT. I don't know. Um, you definitely deserve to be there. So you'd have to ask yourself, you know, get down to the root of like, and peel it down. You know, a lot of people I talk to sometimes, you know, even some of my closest friends sometimes, I'm like, hey, what's wrong? What's bugging you? Cause I can tell they're just not right. Their energy's off and their attitude's wrong and their, their body language is a little, you know, a little skewed. I'm like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. And that's my favorite answer. Oh, okay, cool. Nothing. And then I'll circle back around. Hey, what's wrong? Oh, well, you know, and then they'll start finally coming clean, but then they won't tell, you know, they won't say what, what it is exactly. And you'll have to peel it down and peel the layers of the onion back and finally get down to the root. And I do that just by asking a series of questions and then they get down to the root of it. So I would say try really hard to get down to the root of what's causing you to feel like you're an imposter. Um, in terms of, you know, missing the hunt essentially and having to sit back in the talk and watch, you know, watch the surveillance footage go down of, you know, your guys kicking in doors and getting after it and missing that. Yes, you're always, that, that's always going to be a thing. You're always going to miss that. I don't think there's any retired football players out there or any professional athletes out there that would, that love to sit home and watch games and not miss the smell of the grass, the chill of the ice, the feel of the leather mitt on their, on their hand. Like anyone that's, that's performed at that level at any type of prof elite professional level is going to miss that. You're going to definitely miss that. There's not one time that I don't miss the same thing when I like, you know, throw my old plate carrier on and do, you know, skill sustainment, or I'm out teaching a law enforcement entity or a, you know, a military special operations team, you know, you know, basically what, you know, what I used to do, uh, pretty regularly is, is, is teach weapons and tactics. And I, when I get out there and I get with the guys and put the plate carrier on and get out there on the range and start shooting with those guys and got the night vision goggles on and, standing there amongst killers again, like it and warriors, like it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough feeling to deal with. So you're always going to have that. And I don't know, you know, basically how to, you know, give you advice to say that, you know, to, to navigate that because it's just, it's something that's going to be there and you're just always going to have to deal with it. It's just like 
you know, P PTSD, if you've been involved in anything violent and you've had that trauma, like it gets less and less and less and less over time, but it's still always there. It's still always just sitting there. And the way I like to describe it is hopefully you'll get to a place where these feelings become like pieces of fine art where you'll just set them on the shelf in the back of your mind and you will, you know, go and look at them from time to time and you'll admire them and, you know, dust them off and keep them, you know, nice and sparkly and just be good with sitting there admiring, you know, your past accomplishments or the things that you did in the past um, and then be able to, you know, move on with life. And that's kind of, you know, what, that's kind of my mental exercise is having, you know, even the traumatic events, like ad acknowledging that they're there, acknowledging that they're happened. And like, it's the art gallery in the back of my mind where I've collected all of my accomplishments and all of my trauma and they're all, they're there on display, you know, all my failures, all my successes, everything's there for me to walk through the museum occasionally and take a look at and reminisce about and, you know, feel the feelings that are elicited by that. And then, you know, learn something from that and move on. You know, I don't go in the museum though and set up a tent and camp out in it with my jet boil and, and, uh, you know, hang out and linger because that's just not healthy. So you've always got to be moving forward. So realistically, that's, that, that's, I don't know if that made any sense, but that's what I would recommend is, you know, you, you transition with grace, find the next thing. You know, if you've, if you've got three decades worth and you're probably staring down the barrel of retirement, I would say, and that's kind of probably another reason why you are having these feelings as well, as you know, the ride is almost over and you are going to have to find that next thing. And that terrifies the shit out of people. It did me. And, uh, you know, everyone else that I've talked to that's had a hard transition of what the fuck am I going to do with myself now? It, it's the, one of the toughest things that you'll do and go through and what, um, I would say would benefit the most is probably start doing the mental exercises of visualizing yourself at your retirement ceremony, you know, visualize yourself, you know, shaking hands with your guys and walking home and getting in that car and going and finding your next adventure in life, that next chapter. And there is a next chapter out there. Um, you know, you're only, uh, you know, what did, what did you do? You're only as good as what you accomplished yesterday. You know, and I've talked about this with several people, Andy included, like what, you know, what you accomplished yesterday is amazing, but what are you doing today? What are you going to do tomorrow? So the trick is to just find that thing. What are you passionate about? Is it woodworking? Is it building cuckoo clocks? Is it um, working on cars? Uh, find out what you're passionate about. Take and start with your hobbies. Uh, and if you can take one of your hobbies and you can monetize that hobby, then you're, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't worry because everything's going to be fine. You're, if you, if you can monetize a hobby, congratulations, you're pursuing your path, one of your passions and you will, no matter how hard you work, really ever work hard again, if that makes any sense. I get up every morning and I absolutely love what I do. I love my life and I'm very lucky to have found this, but it, it took some doing. It took a lot of doing and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering to get to right here. And th if I could, you know, do it all over again, I would have, you know, found a mentor because that was one of the things that I didn't do because I'm stubborn and I just don't like talking to people and I like keeping to myself. Um, but in 2010 also, like I wasn't in a place where I could, but that I felt comfortable approaching somebody and being like, Hey, will you mentor me? I mean, fuck, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to have anything to do with humans still kind of that way, but I'm getting better about it. But yeah, try and try and find a mentor on the outside. That's our, that maybe from, that's maybe from your community or maybe not from your community, somebody that you respect and you like what they're doing and you, uh, you know, feel like they've got their shit together and have accomplished a lot and could be a good mentor for you. Like go, go after that person and sit down with them and have a talk and see if they'll help you. Cause if you have, if you have mentors and you surround yourself with great people, knowledgeable people that have maybe walked this path before you, that can like give you great advice. You know, I think that's the best thing to, for you to do. And then I didn't have that. I had, I kind of had to fumble fuck my way through things and figure it out myself. So that being said, I hope that you, uh, I hope that that, I hope that helps. And if you need anything else, feel free to e email me 
and doors always open. Doesn't stop here at uh, just the questions on the show, people. Like, shoot me an email, and if you've got more specific questions, I'll do whatever I can to help uh, point you in the right direction or connect you to people that uh, that can answer your questions better than me. All right. Let's see. Number three. What in your personal life is worth sacrificing for a healthy relationship? Friends, hobbies, career, anything. Oh man, here we go. We are going to start diving into relationship dynamics. Uh, Disclaimer, people, I'm 44 and single. And so I may not be the best person for these (laughs) type of questions. Um, Man, I, oh, that is a really hard question. I even had time to read this a couple of times and think about what I was going to say, and I still it's still stumping me. Okay. One in your personal life is worth sacrificing. I mean, I think the start point for this is how important is a relationship to you? If it's something that's really, really important to you and it's a huge priority in your life, I'd say sit down and make, make a list of things that are priorities in your life. All right, my priority is work and then my son and then adventuring. And then, and, and maybe it's just because I haven't met a woman that's amazing enough to capture me in a way that I feel like I need to, you know, sacrifice something. But at the same time with that, like, why would you want to have somebody in your life like that? That's going to make you give up a piece of who you are to accommodate them. Like I can't get on board with that. So I would say, you know, speaking from my own personal position and opinion on this, like I won't have a person in my life that's like, you have to stop hunting or you need to work less and spend more time with me. Like I don't, if things are, if you're getting ultimatums like out of the gate, then it's, it's not, it's not, that's not your person. Um, and you just, I'm back to, you have to ask yourself what your priorities are. Everybody's different. Everybody's got a different perspective. And maybe the ask isn't that hard. Like maybe you, you know, are not in love with your job, but you are a workaholic for filling the blank company or whatever you're doing. And you're ready to move on in life and you meet somebody that's amazing. And she's like, Hey, you work too much. And you're like, yeah, I know I work too much. Like, fuck, I'm, I hate my job. Like I need to find something different. I'm like two years away from retirement. It's time for me to find something new that I love. And yeah, like me working less hours to be home more is not a hard ask. Maybe it's a situation like that. Um, I always go to the worst case scenario because unfortunately that's been my life experience and that's all I've had to deal with unfortunately is people that get in my life that are not, don't have integrity or are very demanding and, you know, want a lot from me that I'm just not willing to give up, especially at this point. And I think mainly that's a problem, maybe a problem for me. I'm comfortable with it. If people don't like that now, they can fuck straight off. You get on your donkey and ride to fuck off island. I don't care. I like my life the way it is. And I kind of have because I've had so much bad experiences with the opposite sex in my life. I, and really just humans in general, that I've got a selection process now for humans. I have developed a selection. I have criteria and I watch humans very carefully and I spend time with them and I see how they handle stress and I see how well they tell the truth and I see how well they follow through on things and I see how well the, or how loyal they are. And I have, I have my own little metrics and that it's not just for women. It's for, you know, dudes or, or anybody that's going to be in my life in a, on a friendship or a business or a romantic level. So there's people out there that, that don't like that. And what I've discovered is that the people that will bitch about my selection the most are the people that usually don't pass it. So there's that. Um, yeah, I'm just not in a point where I can, where I want to, you know, have somebody in my life that I have to compromise for, uh, something that's important to me. So I feel like the perfect person will eventually show up or they won't. And I'm comfortable with that. Like I, I'm 44. I've already, the dating's not getting any easier over here. The dating game, like my, the dating pool gets narrower and shallower every passing year. So I don't know, maybe I will, maybe I'll run into my person in this life and maybe I won't, but I've crafted my life and I've spent enough time alone now where I'm very comfortable with that. I'm very comfortable living my life alone. 
you know, does it suck sometimes when I'm like out running around the lake and it's a beautiful sunset and I'm looking around and I'm by myself and I'm like, fuck, I wish I had somebody to share this with. Or if I'm on a hike and, you know, I'm on summit the mountain and it's sunrise and I'm looking at the sun rise over the mountains and I'm like, man, this is gorgeous right now. And I'm looking around, I'm, you know, like those times kind of are a little bit difficult. I, they've, they've gotten easier and easier and easier over time. But yeah, I mean, I would be misleading if I didn't say that like having somebody in my life as my equal teammate is, is not important to me. It is important to me. I just, for whatever reason, I just haven't found that human or I haven't found a human that can pass my selection. So there's that. And don't compromise because y'all, I just said y'all, y'all, I'm not even from fucking Texas. What is wrong with me? I need to drink more. Uh, everyone out there, you are all in, entitled to have the best. Work hard. Don't compromise on your, on your, uh, on your goals, and don't compromise on your, on your, uh, on your belief system or what you want out of a romantic relationship. And with that, we will move right on down the road to another amazingly difficult. <laughs> and this one's going to be controversial, ladies. You might want to just tighten your belts a little bit for this one because I have a feeling a lot of you are going to get pissed off what I have to say next. Question four. In what context for a modern relationship are traditional gender roles acceptable to maximize relationship health and happiness? Do feminist leading women want their cake and want to eat it too by cherry picking specific items that they find convenient for their agendas? Who man. What a fucking great question. Super hot potato, super multifaceted here. Okay, well, let's just unpack that because there was a lot there. Okay, so I'm going to just reread part of it. In what context for a modern relationship are traditional gender roles acceptable to maximizing relationship health and happiness? Okay, well, I would just, you know, to go back to what I say earlier, what I want in a human being is not traditional gender-based roles that we've seen in the past where, you know, it's like the woman is the homemaker and she stays home and she pays the bills and she does the laundry and she does all the cooking and she does all the cleaning and she does all of the, you know, essential home tasks and homemaking and takes, takes care of the kids while the man goes out and, you know, takes the trash out and mows the lawn and paints the fence and goes to work for 12 hours a day and then comes home unappreciated and dies of a fucking heart attack. And then she spends his retirement. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that's, I don't believe in any of that. I don't subscribe to any of that. I like having a fair 50, 50, uh, situation in my life where, you know, and going back to the earlier question, I haven't found it yet, but I like having a teammate. I like having a teammate that can, you know, that we can split duties with. Like some nights I cook, some nights she cooks. Some nights I do the dishes, some nights she does the dishes. Some days I take out the trash, some days she takes out the trash. Um, you know, some days I mow the lawn, some days she mows the lawn. I like having that like 50-50, you know, team split and just having someone that's got enough, you know, initiative and situational awareness to just kind of fill in the gaps. And, you know, like if the dishes need done, because I'm in the studio busy like working for 12 hours and having Zoom calls and meetings and designing gear. Uh, don't complain about it. Step up and wash those fucking dishes, okay? I will do the same thing. If for whatever reason it's Saturday and you go run, you go for a run with the girls and you're having brunch with the girls or going, you went for a hike or whatever with your girlfriends and there's dishes in the sink or there's trash that needs to be taken out or laundry that needs to be done, I'm going to do it. I'm going to wash the laundry. I'm going to fold it. Um, I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to put them away. I, first of all, I'm very OCD and I like having a super clean, ultra organized space. And um, that in conjunction with my work ethic has destroyed a lot of potential candidates. But I digress. Um, I think having, uh, you know, equal balance in a relationship is, is super important. I like balance. I like having lots of balance. I don't like things to be too much weighed in either direction. Um, so I would say that's a great answer to the first part of the question. The second part, do you do feminist leaning women want their cake and want to eat it too by cherry picking specific items? I think, 
I mean, I can't speak to what feminists or semi-feminists, if that's a thing. I don't know. Maybe I just made that the fuck up. I can't say what they would want um, or what their agendas are, but I have noticed in my dating adventures that, yeah, there are girls out there that, you know, want the best of both worlds. And I have raised an eyebrow or two fucking basically being like, no, fuck off. It doesn't work like that. You don't get to when it's time your turn to, you know, pull the weight for whatever the team needs. That's more of a traditional masculine duty for you to be like, oh, sweetie, I don't want to mow the lawn today. Okay. When I say, may say next may be offensive, highly offensive. But my answer to that is usually fuck you, bitch, get your lazy ass up and go mow the grass. Cause I did it for the last three weeks and I'm going to the range right now to shoot. And I would say it in a lighthearted joking manner, but it would have a tone of seriousness under there. Like I would be a little bit serious. Um, the other thing too is, you know, uh, girls that are super, super independent on that f feminist side of the house. I don't need a man. I want my space, you know, that kind of shit. And then they lose their, they flip their shit when I'm like, okay. And I w don't open the door and hold the door for them. Or I don't pull their chair out for them. And I usually have done that on purpose on occasion because I've noticed the, they lean a little bit too much. They go a little bit too hard in that feminist paint and there's not balance there. So I would say, yeah, there's women out there that definitely want to have their cake and eat it too. And they definitely want the best of both worlds. They want their independence. They want equal pay. They want, you know, which they should get. I, you're not going to get any argument from that from me, but I'm just using that as an example is they want all these things, but then they also want the guy to take care of them and cater to them and, you know, treat them in that super feminist way or not feminist way, feminine way where you're like opening the door, you're helping them on, you know, put their jacket on, take their jacket off, you know, carrying stuff from them, opening the car door for them, unloading the car for them when they show up to the house with groceries. And, you know, I've seen that before too. And I'm like, no, she's like, I went to the store and did all the shopping. Yeah. And fucking help me carry the groceries in. I don't give a fuck. Your arms work, pick up the grocery bags and let's go. Ladies, you can see why I'm, single. I'm a very coarse person sometimes when it comes to relationships. But anyway, yes, I do believe that's a thing. I do believe that there is, there are women out there that will definitely cherry pick what they want. And to those girls, I'll say you will never pass selection. So that said, moving on, last question. And maybe one that is the most difficult. Um, what are your views on the current withdrawal from Afghanistan? That one is deep. And for that, I'm going to just take a little drink of my whiskey. That is a tough question because I have had lots of emotions boiling up in me watching this whole thing unfold. Most notably, and most currently, the absolute cowardly withdrawal from the Bagram Air Base. Like we just, we just vanished like ghosts in the middle of the night and bailed. And I think that that sets a precedent of coward. Like, I think it was, that's cowardice. That's fucking cowardice. And it's cut and run. And I don't really, to, to my position on this, I don't even think that we should be withdrawing from Afghanistan. And people are like, oh, the never ending war, the never ending war. Yeah, I mean, as long as that area of the world is going to, you know, be a threat to humanitarian, uh, you know, and diplomatic and economic relations via the Taliban and, you know, continue to have a hardline position and want to enforce Sharia law and destroy basically everything we worked for and bled for and built in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. And then the fact that we're just abandoning our, our allies, it's disgusting to me. It's absolutely disgusting to me. Like, I think we are just lining ourselves up for more of what happened in Iraq with ISIS. You know, we pulled out to a very small footprint, a very small diplomatic and military footprint in Iraq and withdrawal to a certain troop level, a very, very small one. 
and ISIS came back in and stormed the country and took over two thirds of Iraq again. And we had to send advisors in there to, and assets back in there to assist, advise and assist the Iraqi army to retake ground that we already took and we already bled over. And I think we're just lining ourselves up to do more of the same. And not only that, like what, what confidence does any country in the world now have in the validity and the integrity of the United States of America that we're going to keep our promises and be a good partner to work with over the long haul and during hard times? You know, I just like we have set diplomatic relations back 50 years and, and maybe we're going to, you know, um, you know, comp what we've done here with, you know, cutting and running in Afghanistan and what we've done with how we left the Kurds out to dry in, in Syria and in northern Iraq when the when ISIS came back in and fucking started murdering the shit out of people like we, we've. We've left our allies, people that helped us and were key partners. I mean, the Kurds have been helping us since like World War II. That's how long they've been in with the United States. And you know what? Those people are amazing people and they will still welcome us with open arms when we walk the streets of Irabil. Like they, they're amazing. They're great people. And the fact that we just bail on them, Afghanistan's the same way. That I met Afghan people that were absolutely amazing, great people and I forged amazing relationships and friendships while I was there. And now we're just cutting and running and like leaving the Taliban, which as, as of today, the Taliban has taken back 54% of the country. 54% of Afghanistan is now under Taliban control. The humanitarian crisis that's going to unfold from this and the, we're going to see genocide. We're going to see, uh, you know, it's going to be on mainstream media. We're going to see, Taliban murder the shit out of people is essentially what's going to happen. And the fact that our substandard president who is completely unfit for duty and has no business being the office of the president of the United States of America, who opened our borders essentially and had illegals stream across our borders and who he put on buses and planes in the middle of the night to send to conservative states. And that was all okay. That was all fine. Who has had, has put no plan forward and has put no effort forward to uh, evacuating good Afghan people that were interpreters and facilitators and enablers for our efforts in their country and who fought side by side for us with us for us, with us, with them, by, with, and through, working together hand in hand, like the fact that those people now are in grave danger and of being uh, targeted and isolated and murdered by the Taliban and we're doing absolutely nothing to expedite a, with, uh, a, uh, a safe withdrawal for those people to come to our country and become Americans since they put their families at risk. I know interpreters over there like that just vanished that we never saw again. We never saw them again. And it was probably because the Taliban captured them in their village when they were on their way home to visit their families and cut their fucking heads off. I know dudes that got their families got murdered. I worked with a interpreter uh, in Iraq uh, who's attached to me and he, uh, for a short time, and he, his family got murdered by Al Qaeda. They found his family and murdered them. His whole family, dead. He had two kids, dead. And they didn't just kill them. They cut them up and put them in garbage bags on his front porch. That is the type of evil that we deal with over there. That is the type of evil that all of our good allies in Afghanistan are getting ready to deal with. And our government has done fuck all to, do, to, to, to get these people to safety. I think it's disgusting and a complete failure. And it makes me ashamed is what it what it does. And that's why I've struggled so fucking hard for, not only that, I put so much of my heart and soul into Afghanistan the people that I worked with, like I worked, I had a partner force and I was responsible for selecting them and training them and operating side by side with them. And I went out and I saw all the good parts of Afghanistan. I saw a lot of, I said all, I saw all the shitholes too. And I did my fair share of uh, trade and trade and paint 
with my, uh, with my partner force in Afghanistan while I was there contracting. But I got to see the, the, the beautiful parts of Afghanistan. I got to see the whole country. I worked the north. I worked the east. I worked um, central. And I worked the, the west pretty heavily. The only place that I had very limited uh, time and uh, did couple, just a couple of missions here and there was down in the southern part, down in Helmand and Kandahar province. Like I didn't have much experience down there. But for the whole, I got to see and experience the, the good things about Afghanistan. And uh, I was very lucky in that regard that I worked on a level where I was able to have free movement around the country and got to travel around and see the things that are great about Afghanistan. And frankly, Afghanistan's a gorgeous, it's a beautiful country. And realistically, if we, you know, if the Taliban wasn't there trying to kill me, I would have considered like living abroad there for a period of time. I mean, I kind of did by default, but it, what ruins your trip real fast is AK-47, PKM and RPG rounds flying past your head. It's hard to just sightsee and enjoy, you know, the finer points of Afghanistan when those things are happening. But uh, I think what we're doing now is, is despicable and it's a, it's a, it's a failure. It's a, it's complete failure. And, uh, I'm not excited about that. And I think inevitably where we're going to land is the Taliban's going to take back control of the country. They're going to target and murder a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of innocent people. It's going to be a huge humanitarian crisis that we let happen because we abandoned them. And, uh, I think we're going to be back to where we were post or, uh, pre nine 11, where we've got a Taliban controlled state that is Sharia law and it's they're going to have a safe haven for terrorist organizations to train uh, and prepare for their next phases of, of the war on terror. Um, so that's where I'm at with that. I'm not a happy camper about it. And uh, I think we could have done better. I think we could have done a lot better. So it's not too late. Hopefully, you know, something positive will come out of this. Hopefully we will put together a plan in the 11th hour to get as many people and as many of our, you know, partner force, you know, key leaders and interpreters and people that enablers and facilitators that helped us. Hopefully we can do something to get them out before the Taliban takes control of the whole country. And we start seeing uh, executions and such on TV. So with that, that wraps up the last question. So I hope you all enjoyed the first installment of Weapons Free Wednesday. It's a little more fast and loose and a little bit less PC, uh, which is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, that's kind of what I'm known for anyway, is just kind of telling shit how it is. So that's what I'm going to continue down the road with. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, we will see you back a uh, week after next. We're going to do a, uh, a, uh, a guest one week which will be released on Monday. And then we will do a weapons free Wednesday on the, on the corresponding Wednesday. And that the reason we're setting things up like that is that leaves me a little reactionary gap time to kind of see what's going to happen with the show and, and how it's going to grow and what, uh, what direction it's going to go and, and gives me a little bit of time to uh, also line up guests, interesting guests for you guys. So I hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you next week until then everyone have a great week. Ha ha ha!